from lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota and SixFootMama.com. This is Still Growing with Jennifer Ebling. Still Growing is a gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to Still Growing, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jennifer Ebling. Herbalist Katya Swift joins me on the show today, and we're discussing staying healthy during cold and flu season with plants from your garden. And some of the plants that we'll be discussing today include thyme, sage, rosemary, oregano, bee balm or monarda, lavender, peppermint and spearmint, of course, hyssop, cat mint and catnip, basils, my favorite, chamomile, yarrow, garlic and onion, and of course, all the varieties of hot peppers. Katya will introduce us to the medicinal properties of these common plants. Staying healthy during cold and flu season with plants from your garden and knowledgeable herbalist Katya Swift. That's the topic of today's show, and it's coming up after an update on the listener community for the show and this week's Garden News Roundup. Well, first, I'd like to start out by saying thank you for listening to the Still Growing Podcast this week. And of course, I always like to say that I hope you're listening to a bunch of gardening podcasts because it's such a great way to grow and learn as a gardener. Anyway, I'm truly, sincerely honored that you're spending some time here today listening to the Still Growing Podcast. So welcome. Now, one of the unique features of this show, and probably my favorite part, is the fact that we have a listener community, a free Facebook group for listeners of the show, and it's called the Still Growing Podcast Group. This is a private group on Facebook. You can find it by going to Facebook and searching for the Still Growing Podcast Group into the search bar, and then our group will just pop right up and you can request to join. Once you join, you'll have access to all of the great garden articles that I curate for the group. They'll just appear in your Facebook newsfeed. So if you'd like to see more helpful posts about gardening, then by all means, join the listener community for the show. Second, the Facebook group is the only place I go to pick lucky listeners for any of the show giveaways. Third, you get to interact with the great guests that have been on the show, like today's guest, Katya Swift. She's an herbalist out of Boston, and she will be in the group and happy to answer any questions that you have, happy to continue that conversation. And finally, there's no spam in our group. The content that I share with the listener community is something I work very hard to make sure is helpful and worthwhile for you. Everything I post is curated with you in mind to help you and your garden grow. Plus, it's free and easy to join. Well, it's time to welcome new members. I'd like to welcome Nicole Burt, Barry Edwards, Donna Archibald, Yu Hang Zeng, Amanda Cicada, John Wood, Wendy Ellison Featherston, Michael Dick, and Ryan Mogenberg. Welcome, you guys. Well, there were a number of fun hot topics in the group this week. Ribby Rude wrote, I've enjoyed listening to the Still Growing podcasts and learning which podcasts other gardeners listen to as well. Is there a list of the podcasts that people have recommended? My favorite podcast to add to this list is Encyclopedia Botanica. 
Well, Ribby, I want to thank you for your suggestion. I will definitely start to curate this master list that listeners of Still Growing are putting together, their favorite gardening podcasts that they enjoy listening to. In the meantime, this sparked some conversation. Past guest Megan Kane shared her favorites in a blog post simply called Favorite Gardening Podcasts, and that's over at creativevegetablegardener.com. Listener Renee Ford shared her favorites. She listens to Joe Gardner, You Bet Your Garden, that's one of my favorites, Plant Rama, A Way to Garden, another one of my favorites, and Still Growing. Danny Perkins added in Cultivating Place. Anne Quick Page said she listens to Average Person Gardening and also Slow Flowers. Mike Katchmar likes the Vegetable Gardening Podcast with Mike the Gardener. Jen Miller said that she loves falling asleep to gardening podcasts like Gardener's Corner from Radio Ulster, National Trust Podcast, On the Ledge with Jane Perrone, that's one I started listening to this year, and the RHS Gardening Podcast or the Royal Horticultural Society Podcast. Jody Tiffany Donnelly added We Dig Plants. Phil Coster added Epic Gardening, Garden Nerd, and Living Homegrown. And finally, Jennifer Stalker shared Gardener's Question Time from BBC Radio 4. Anyway, that was a great list. So I'll throw all of that together and add it as a sidebar over at my website. Patricia Chandler Newport shared a wrap-up of her project on her own home, which is really saying something because oftentimes when you're a landscape designer, the last thing you get to is your own garden. Anyway, she finally finished her front yard shrub refresh. She planted six seven-gallon quick-fire hydrangea, nine baby gym boxwood, six winter gym boxwood, two five-feet dwarf arborvitae, a couple of yards of compost, a big sack of fertilizer, and she has a sore back to show for all of her efforts. And then finally, she shared this little side note. In six years, I have planted 51 shrubs and three trees in my front yard. And I like that she did that. I like that she looked back and tallied up her work because sometimes year over year, the incremental progress that we make in our gardens can seem not as significant as we want it to be. But over time, all of those efforts add up and you can get a real sense of accomplishment when you aggregate it all together. So great job, Patricia. It looks wonderful. And as Patricia reminds us, fall is the best time to put in shrubs. They will have slow root growth throughout the winter and none of the stress of spring and summer heat. Patricia always uses a good root starter with mycorrhiza and makes sure that they get regular deep watering through hard freeze. And her favorite product is Biotone. Good to know. This week in the group, I asked a question, what's your favorite houseplant? And number one in this spot is succulents, and number two is orchids. So Deborah Lee Baldwin, the queen of succulents, would be happy to know that succulents are still top of the list, even as houseplants. 
Well, listeners always do such a great job of sharing pictures and videos of what's going on in their garden. One of my favorites this week was from Ann Quick Page. She shared a sweet little photo of her little boy standing by one of her last harvests out of her garden in New Hampshire. He's just a sweetheart. She had celery, carrots, and kale. And she also said that she has tons of flat leaf parsley still and Swiss chard. Anyway, this was one of my favorite pictures this week. Just so sweet. Now, if you have questions or comments, suggestions or feedback for the show, you can always contact the show by calling this number, 865-333-GROW or 865-333-4769. I'd love to hear your voice. All right, now it's time for the Garden News Roundup. This is a curated group of posts and articles that I've shared over the past week with the listener community in the free Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast Group. And it's made up of a dozen different segments, from updates on past guests to articles featuring fascinating folks in the world of horticulture that I'd love to chat with. And that's something I call the Dream Guest Segment. Now, what's nice about this for you is that you can see stay pretty informed about the news in horticulture and gardening just by listening to this part of the show each week. And you can easily check out these curated articles and posts for yourself because I share all of it with the listener community in the free Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast group. So if you hear something and want to read the full article, there's no need to take notes or track down links. Just head on over to the group and join. All right, let's kick things off with the guest update. Past guest Helen Battersby and her sister announced that the longtime publisher of the Toronto Gardens Journal and Source book, Margaret Bennett Adler, has handed the publishing reins to Helen and her sister, Sarah. And I know they'll do a great job with it. Interestingly enough, Margaret began her labor of love with the Toronto Gardener's Journal at the age of 65. And now at 90, she's finally handing over the reins and taking a well-deserved break. I love stories like that. Past guest Peggy Riccio shared some great posts that she'd written over on her blog. The first was about her aloe vera plant. She calls it the plant that keeps on giving. Every May, she puts it outside on the deck to enjoy some summer sun and warmth. And then she brings it back in in the fall to enjoy some downtime in the house. I do the exact same thing with mine. And then don't forget Barbara Pleasant's fantastic tip of harvesting some of the mother plants and chopping them into chunks and then throwing them in the freezer. You get the double whammy of having the healing aloe plus the cold. So I consider them to be aloe ice cubes. They're great. The kids love them as well. And then finally, Peggy shared another post. This one was about forcing bulbs. She took a class at Northern Virginia Community College and learned how to force paper white bulbs. What I loved about Peggy's post regarding forcing paper whites is this little tip that she found. Here's what Peggy wrote. Researchers at the Flower Bulb Research Program at Cornell University have proven that using a dilute solution of alcohol shortens the stems. So instead of having gangly stalks on your paper whites or your amaryllis, 
adding a little bit of alcohol can shorten those stems. Peggy points out that this is not new research, but those new to gardening will appreciate this helpful tip. Here are the instructions that she quotes. After planting the bulbs in soil or stones and adding water, wait a week until the roots develop. When the green shoots grow about two inches above the top of the bulbs, pour off the water and replace with a solution of 4 to 6% alcohol. Use gin, vodka, whiskey, rum, or tequila, but don't use beer or wine. If it's a 40% distilled spirit, add one part of the alcohol to seven parts water to yield a 5% solution. Rubbing alcohol can be used as well. If it's 70% alcohol, dilute one part alcohol to 10 parts water. Peggy notes that once you replace the water with this alcohol, from then on, use that solution instead of water for the bulbs. You also want to make sure that the water line is below the base of the bulb so that the roots are drawing in the liquid and that they're not sitting in it and beginning to rot. So that's really key as well. In sustainability, there was a great comic that was showing why you should turn your yard into a mini farm. This was showing a a little comic illustration of folks rolling up their sod and laying down a garden. It was a very creative way to get folks to grow edibles. So if you're teaching any type of class on growing edibles, check out this link, check out this comic. It's a super creative way to inspire folks to grow more edibles. And it was shared over at yesmagazine.org. Also in sustainability, Helen Yost shared a great post about what she's calling her forever garden. And Helen refers to her garden as Helen's Haven. I like the point that she's making here. Here's what she said. Helen's Haven is very important to me. And while I'm still kicking in good health and with the willingness to get out there and dig, I wanted to make sure that I had planned well enough so that in the future I'd be ready. I wanted a garden that gave back, not just to be pretty, and one that when need be, It would be uncomplicated enough that I could direct a mow, blow, and go team to work it. So over the past five years, she's slowly been renovating her garden into what she's calling a forever garden. Helen points out that even though right now she's perfectly fit and able to get into her garden, she didn't want to be blindsided. She didn't want to worry not only about her health, but also her garden, because her garden is her sanctuary. It's where she gets her exercise. It's her therapy. It's a real source of health and inspiration for her. Helen says, with a little planning, the worry of who will care for the garden doesn't have to be a worry. She knows that should her health fail, her garden will easily be able to be taken care of. So that's a worthwhile endeavor, something to look into, transforming your garden, if it's high maintenance, into a forever garden. Great article. If you're interested in reading this article for yourself, just head on over to the Facebook group and type in the word Haven for Helen's Haven. And then this article will pop right up. 
Finally, in sustainability, Anne-Marie Altman, a listener from our listener community, shared a great post called Why Raking Your Leaves is Counterproductive. For most of us, we're through this part of the season, and hopefully you didn't bag up your leaves and cart them off your property because those leaves are nature's fertilizer. So hopefully you did what I do, which is take those leaves, turn them into compost, add them to your beds, cover your beds nicely, add some to your containers. They're worth hanging on to. And that was the point of this article shared by listener Anne-Marie Altman. Thank you, Anne. In continuing ed, there was a really good article that was featured in the New York Times a few weeks ago, and it was called Cure Yourself of Tree Blindness. And I thought this was very timely for us, especially after just having Rex Bastion on the show, where we were talking about caring for our gentle giants, the trees of our gardens. And here was my favorite excerpt from this article. There was a time when knowing your trees was a matter of life and death. You needed to know which ones were strong enough to support a house, which ones would feed you in the winter. Now, most of us are tree blind, a term devised by some botanists. That was one of my takeaways after talking with Rex. And then recently this past week, I talked to another tree expert, and both of them have convinced me that a major goal for all gardeners is to get out in your garden with an arborist and identify all of the trees on your property. That's a very important first step. In that way, you can avoid tree blindness. Also in continuing, Ed, I shared a truly excellent post from Jane Perone. Jane is the host of the On the Ledge podcast, a podcast all about houseplants. And she recently wrote a wonderful post that's called 10 Secrets to Successful Houseplants from the Experts. There were so many great tips in this post, everything from how to repot a cactus to how to propagate string of hearts. There were some great tips on feeding air plants, using cat litter to pot up succulents, training a vine to climb. There was a beautiful image of a pothos climbing a wall, and they simply used little clips. And she used an image of Jamie Song's pothos. And what he did is he just simply used outdoor light clips and attached them to the wall and then trained his pothos to climb up the wall. It is so stinking cute. And it's a sensation on Instagram. You've got to check that out. I think my favorite aspect of this article is that so many of Jane's tips were unique and novel, things that I had not heard before. So if you'd like to check out this long list of great suggestions from Jane, just head on over to the Facebook group and type in Houseplant. This article will pop right up. In the How to DIY segment, James Wong shared a post that was called Pop Your Own Popcorn. And of course, in this article, he's talking about growing popcorn. And when I introduced this to the group, I said, hey, this is way more fun for kids than growing radish, at least definitely more exciting. I know for my son, PJ, who's a huge popcorn fan, this would really pique his curiosity. So if you've got a little gardener and you want to create a little sensation, a little buzz in your house around gardening, grow your own popcorn. 
Get Busy Gardening shared a great recipe for succulent soil. That was very popular in the group this week. And what's especially nice about this one is that Amy shared her recipe. So it's not that she's just talking in general about succulent soil, but she actually gives you the ratio of the things that she uses when she's putting together her succulent soil. And then finally, in the how-to DIY segment, was a post that got a lot of time a lot of eyes on it, and it has to do with creating a composting trench. This was shared in Gardener's World, and what you do here is you create a composting trench for your organic kitchen waste, and basically by adding to this trench over the winter, you're adding nutrients to the soil. And you're also adding a little bit of moisture as well. Listener Patricia Chandler Newport said that one of her landscape assistants told her that as a child, her chore was to take all of the kitchen scraps out to the garden and bury them. She said they never used fertilizer of any sort. Isn't that a great tradition to teach your kids? Love that. In the plant spotlight this week, I stumbled on a beautiful photo, and it was showing milkweed, and the seed pods were kind of exploding, and there were seed heads all around these pods, and people loved that picture. It was so beautiful, in fact, that a lot of listeners just had no idea of the scale because it seemed so huge. If you want to check it out for yourself, just head on over to the group and type in milkweed, and that photo will pop right up. And once again, thanks to Mary Simons for sharing that photo with us. Listener Jody Tiffany Donnelly shared a great plant for the plant spotlight this week, and that was an image of her Amazonia. She wrote, who loves Amazonia as much as I do? The foliage is like a beacon of light on a very dreary day. And her Amazonia was just positively glowing in her fall landscape, so I can see why she likes it so much. The website Flowerona shared a wonderful post about cyclamen. It is the houseplant of the month for the month of November. So if you're a cyclamen fan, go ahead and check that out. And then finally, Rose expert Deb Kaiser shared her tips for winter rose protection. Deb Gardens in Minnesota, and she's found kind and gentle ways to wrap up the growing season for her roses, and she shared them in this article. It's very well done. Boy, there were a lot of articles in the news in horticulture this week. First, there was a true find that happened, and it was something that was hiding in plain sight in the Missouri Botanical Gardens Library. What they stumbled on was a forgotten rare coloring book that was 257 years old. It is something else. It was called The Florist, and when it was created, it was not created for educational purposes. It wasn't for exploration either. It wasn't part of plant exploration. It was just simply a coloring book, and it was printed back in 1760 in London, and it was called The Florist, and it had 60 images of flowers with introductions for drawing and painting according to nature. The printer, Robert Sayer, said right up front, it's a new work intended for the use and amusement of gentlemen and ladies delighting in that art. Today, there are fewer than 10 copies of this book preserved in libraries. 
And we owe a debt of gratitude to botanist Amy Poole because she's the one that discovered it when she was doing some light reading on the history of botanical illustration when she happened upon a reference to this 1760 coloring book, The Florist. She just took it upon herself to enter the title into the garden's digital catalog, and sure enough, here they had a copy. What a thrilling find for them. That was cool. NPR did a wonderful job recapping the victory gardens that were planted in Washington, D.C. this year. These gardens were important because they were commemorating the 100th anniversary of the U.S. entering World War I in 1917. The part that was super cool is that as they were planting these gardens, they were truly trying to find varieties that were planted 100 years ago. So while many people who saw these gardens around the Library of Congress maybe just thought, oh, that's a really great garden, people familiar with the project could really appreciate the work that went into it. The lead gardener said, we had very detailed pamphlets in the archives that gave us an idea of how to start creating these gardens. And then he'd sit home at night hunting through catalogs thinking, I need to find a bean cultivated before 1917. That's the kind of attention to detail that went into these victory gardens in Washington, D.C. this summer. Super cool. The Guardian shared a neat article that was all about a recent discovery in a Vincent van Gogh painting. A conservator came across a grasshopper submerged in paint while looking at van Gogh's olive trees painting with a microscope. And insects were a real challenge to painters who were painting outside. In fact, in an 1885 letter to his brother Theo, Van Gogh wrote about the downside of painting outdoors. He said, I must have picked up a few hundred flies and more off of the four canvases that you'll be getting, not to mention dust and sand. When one carries them across the heath and through hedgerows for a few hours, the odd branch or two scrapes across them. The hazards of painting in nature. In early November, a German man feared that he had found a World War II bomb on his property. So he contacted the police, and it turns out what he thought was an unexploded World War II bomb was actually a pretty big squash. But even the police had to agree with the elderly man that the vegetable definitely looked exactly like a bomb. That doesn't happen every day. In Australia, a giant cloud of bees three stories high took over a street in Sydney. Luckily, they got in touch with Vicki Brown, who runs courses in beekeeping. She just said when she was quoted in the paper, I found the queen, and when you find her and put her in a cage, the rest of the bees follow her inside. Anyway, these pictures were pretty cool. People had their cell phones out. They couldn't believe this swarm of bees in Sydney, and it just went up so high. It looked like confetti in the streets. If you'd like to see this image and this article for yourself, just type in cloud the next time you're in the Facebook group and this article will pop up. 
Finally, in the news, the BBC reported that 2017 will be recorded as one of the top three warmest years. The World Meteorological Organization said it will likely be the hottest year in the absence of the El Nino phenomenon. So if you thought 2017 was pretty warm, you would be correct. In the Dream Guest segment, listener Beth Engel shared a film that I thought was absolutely fantastic, and you should take a second to watch it if you get a chance. It's all about microsculpture, which has to do with the insect photography of Levon Biss. What he does is he will take obscure insects and then photograph them using extreme zoom technology. And then he'll piece these individual photos together to create unbelievable images of insects super close up. Everything about this video was amazingly captivating. And that's why LaVon Biss makes the dream guest segment this week. In science, MIT engineers have created sensors that can be printed onto plant leaves and then reveal when the plants are experiencing a water shortage. Now, when I saw these tiny little sensors, they reminded me of the little dots that people put on monarchs for Monarch Watch. So these are not huge. They're just very, very, very tiny. And you put them on the plant and then they change colors and let you know when your plant needs water. Patricia Chandler Newport said, I need these for my clients. For all the time she hears, I swear I watered. Why are my plants dead? The curse of landscape designers everywhere. Also in science was an interesting post shared in sciencemag.org. This was a finding about ants. It seems that ants are capable of brewing up their own pesticides from tree resin, and they use this antibiotic cocktail to protect their colony. In other science news, there was a wonderful article about bees, and it was talking about what does smoke do to bees? Why does it work so well? And here was the finding. Bees assume that smoke means fire. They start consuming honey. That makes them calm and lethargic because they've been gorging on honey. And that makes them easier to work with. So that's why smoke works so well with bees. In shopping this week, I shared a post just for the fun of it, and it was talking about the best houseplant for your zodiac sign. Listeners had fun just checking out this list and seeing what houseplant they should have for their zodiac sign. If you want to check out yours, just type in zodiac over in the Facebook group. Also in shopping was a great book review of one of my all-time favorite books. It's Botanical Style by Selena Lake. This was also featured in flowerona.com, a great website, and they agree with me. They love this book. Now, if you head on over to Amazon, you can get this book for under $15, and it would make a great Christmas present for a gardener in your life or just to treat yourself. Botanical Style by Selena Lake. Enjoy. In recipes this week, there was just a simple mashed cauliflower recipe. And what's great about this is it said it's the creamiest mashed cauliflower recipe, but it does not include cream. 
So not only is mashed cauliflower a tasty alternative to potatoes, but it's incredibly easy to make. And what's great about cauliflower is you can't over mash it the way you can potatoes. So bonus for cauliflower. In inspiration, the Amsterdam Tulip Museum did us all a favor and they shared the 11 Twitter handles every tulip fan should follow. So I opened up this post and I literally went through one right after another, 11 of them, and just followed them all so that my Twitter feed can be filled with beautiful tulips. And I know I'm going to love that, especially come spring. So if you want to make your Twitter feed more beautiful, check out this post. The next time you're in Facebook and the Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast group, just type in Twitter or tulip and this post will pop up and you can do the same thing. Finally, in inspiration, last Friday, I shared a song from an artist that I recently discovered And she goes by Yeba, which is Abby spelled backwards. But her latest release is a song called Evergreen. And I just love that song. And I thought it was a perfect title for gardeners, a song that could be on your garden playlist. So check it out. It's in the group. The song's called Evergreen. And you can listen to it just by clicking on that post. So search for either Yeba or Evergreen. And that post will just pop right up. It'll link right to iTunes. In quotables this week are two poems that I found on social media. The first is called October, November by Hart Crane, who was born in 1889 and died in 1932. Here's October, November. Indian summer sun with crimson feathers whips away the mists dives through the filter of trellises and gilds the silver on the blotched arbor seats. Now gold and purple scintillate on trees that seem dancing in delirium. Then the moon in a mad orange flare floods the grape-hung night. The other fun poem that I found was by Joy Harjo. Her poem, Remember, happens to have been posted on buses in Rhode Island through November 15th. Here it is. Remember the plants, trees, animal life, who all have their tribes, their families, their histories, too. Talk to them. Listen to them. They are alive poems. Remember the wind. Remember her voice. She knows the origin of this universe. Remember you are all people, and all people are you. Well, that's the Garden News Roundup for this week's show. Just a reminder, you can get all of these posts with links and bonus content in your Facebook feed if you join the listener community in the free Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast Group. I'd love to meet you in the group. With that, let's transition to the topic of today's show, staying healthy during cold and flu season with plants from your garden and knowledgeable expert, herbalist Katya Swift. 
Here in Minnesota, temperatures have plummeted into the teens over the past few days. Already, my hands are dry and cracking. My mom has come down with a virus. PJ's under the weather as well. And it seems I'm constantly reminding the kids to wash their hands and drink plenty of water. Every one of us is impacted by cold and flu season one way or another. Have you thought about what you can do to make sure you stay healthy during cold and flu season? Will you get a flu shot? Are you open to incorporating even more plants, fruits, and herbs into your daily health regimen? Katya is a Boston-based herbalist. In fact, she co-founded the Commonwealth Center for Herbal Medicine in Boston, Massachusetts. And in fact, it's right by Fenway Park. Katya is the center's director of education. Today, Katya will review the effective use of plant remedies for preventing colds and flu, since avoiding getting sick is something on everybody's mind, especially as we head into winter. This episode focuses both on providing relief to others who need it, as well as maintaining good self-care, as always, with plants direct from the garden. Katya will cover how to decrease your chances of getting a cold or flu, how to decrease the length and severity of illness if you do get sick, how to make powerfully immune-boosting recipes that taste great, how to make home remedies specifically for sore throat, cough, sinus congestion, fever, and ear infections, And finally, how to be stocked and prepared for the cold and flu season ahead. Plant-based remedies don't just simply mask symptoms. They work with the whole body to boost the immune system, and they're extremely effective antibacterials and antivirals. They naturally shine at helping build and restore the health of the system. In this episode, Katya will cover the foods and teas to get you through the cold and flu season. This includes simple recipes to make before the season begins and really simple recipes once you or someone you care for becomes sick. Katya will also go through what you can buy at the store to have on hand. Finally, and most importantly, Katya will go through the best ways to avoid becoming sick in the first place. I'm so thrilled you're here to join me for this highly informative chat with Katya Swift. When cold and flu season hits this year, you'll be glad you listened. Staying healthy during cold and flu season with plants from your garden. Here's my chat with knowledgeable herbalist, Katya Swift. Well, welcome to the show, Katya. Hi, Jen. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I am thrilled that we are talking about something that's on everybody's mind. I know for sure it's on my mom's mind because she keeps talking to me about the kids. She wants to make sure they're washing their hands and they're staying hydrated (laughs) and all that good stuff. And we're talking about cold and flu season and how we can use plants from our garden, not just herbs, to help keep us healthy this year. It's amazing, actually. It turns out that, um, well, I guess maybe it's not amazing at all. Maybe it is the most mundane and totally logical thing. (laughs) Humans have dealt with cold and flu 
forever, right? Like respiratory crud has always been a thing that humans have had to deal with. So colds and flus have been with us forever. So of course there are plants that help us work with it. And of course there are plants that are really common to us. Yeah. And maybe they're even common to us because we've been working with them forever for respiratory gunk. <laughs> That's exactly right. And you know, the other thing that I liked, because you and I did a pre-chat earlier this week before this conversation, and one of the things you shared with me, and I thought, you know what, that is such a great idea. We're talking about more than just herbs here. I think people always think about the herbs, but they forget there are fruits, yeah. there are vegetables, there are other plants in our garden that we need to think about when we're talking about using plants to stay healthy. Absolutely. What are some of the ones we're going to talk about today? Can you give us kind of an overview? If we were planting a garden for next spring with the idea that we were going to be basically planting our own apothecary, what are some of your yeah. must-haves? Well, you know, it doesn't even have to be the exotic one. It's all stuff that you're probably very familiar with. I really want to talk about a bunch of mint family plants. So on one hand, thyme and sage, rosemary, oregano. I really love bee balm. Um, that's Monarda. Usually I use Monarda fistulosa, but any of the Monardas will work. And then the other side of the mint family, the lavender, peppermint, spearmint, hyssop, and catnip group. And those sort of, if you just think about being in the garden with those plants, you, you like automatically your mind is kind of grouping those into two categories because their smell is very different. And even though lavender and peppermint don't smell the same, they have something in common with each other that's different than like oregano. You can kind of put those in two groups. Okay. So do we have a name for these groups? I think on one you said you called them the cool mints. What's your name for the other group? Maybe we just call them the pizza mints. <laughs> <laughs> I a love that. Times, a lot of times when I'm referring to cold and flu medicine, I'll talk about it in terms of pizza seasoning um, or spaghetti sauce seasoning. So, you know, that's your, your time, your sage, your rosemary. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Okay, so we've got cool like mints. like culinary mints. Okay, yeah. okay, I like that. Cool mints. I'm going with pizza mints. I'm all there. I love it. I pizza love it. mints, right? It's fantastic. <laughs> it's fantastic. So then we have some flowers that are really, really handy, and that is chamomile and yarrow. And one, actually, that we didn't mention, and I can't believe that we didn't talk about this yet already when we were doing our pre-talk, but also rose, which hmm. probably lots of people have in their garden already. Yes, and then, absolutely. then we have some vegetables, um, because believe it or not, vegetables totally fight colds and flu. And the three, my three favorites here are garlic, onion, and hot peppers. Any of the varieties of hot peppers are fine, whichever one you like that. One of the things that I think it might be nice to get out of the way before we start doing a deep dive on how to use mm -hmm. these things is kind of maybe a mental block that some people might have about ingesting or eating some of these things that they're just maybe even not familiar with, even though some of them are pretty darn common. Right. Talked about, yeah, we talked about this just a little bit, that there's a little bit of a, a mind block or a, a mind blindness we can have. We, you know, maybe don't think twice about taking an Advil or Motrin, you know, if something hurts. But when we say, hey, drink this tea, people sometimes are like, wait a minute, what am I doing here? So how do we overcome <laughs> that? <laughs> how do we overcome that? 
Well, it's really funny because we're very selective about that block, actually. We're fine eating broccoli, but oh, just eat that chamomile. That might seem really strange, or at least to an adult. You know, chamomile is one of the plants that I love to work with for kids who have ADD. And the kids think this is the best thing ever. And sometimes parents look at me really funny. But for kids, that is like a license to just go wild. Just run out there, get all your energy out. But also, they like it's really freeing as a child to just go out and just eat those plants right with your teeth, you know, like, I'm going to chop that chamomile. But we get to this like point as adults and we're like, ah, I can't eat a flower. That's weird. And, um, and it's not weird. It's actually really fun. Uh, but we don't actually like everybody feels fine about chamomile tea. Yeah. That seems normal. So it's it's just all these different degrees of like what we've been socialized to think is normal or exotic or weird or we just don't do that. But a lot of these plants actually are are super effective and even perhaps most effective just by inhaling their steam. And you don't even have to drink it as tea or eat it in your food. So that is one way that like if you feel comfortable smelling that plant in your garden, then all we're going to do is like intensify that smell a little bit in a steam and have you breathe that in. And that's going to, that's going to be fantastic medicine. So it's a really nice starting point. Hmm, I like that. So you're getting the aromatherapy benefits, but you're enhancing mm-hmm. it by heating it up. Right, right. All right. Let's go through group one, which is the the pizza, the pizza ingredients. Yes, the pizza group. Pizza group. Yeah. So all of these plants are fairly interchangeable. Now, each one has its own kind of personality. But if you don't have any time left from from the summer harvest and you've got sage or you've got oregano or you've got monarda, then just swap them. In, in, In this regard, they're fairly interchangeable. Okay. And... And for cold and flu, the part that we're really working with is the the smelly part. The smelly part is um, made up of volatile oils, and some people would know them with the word essential oil. Yeah. Um, and basically, it, it is a very easily evaporating chemical, organic chemical, naturally occurring chemical that is in the plant, and. Those chemicals uh, across the board tend to be very antimicrobial. And in this particular group, the pizza herbs, they are specifically tremendously antimicrobial against the type of pathogens that get into our respiratory system, whether that is cold viruses or flu viruses. And in fact, even against some of the bacterias that are a little bit more serious when you get like the pneumonias and stuff like that. Okay. I mean, of course, if somebody had tuberculosis, obviously go to the hospital and get the antibiotics and all that stuff. (laughs) Um, I wouldn't just be like, oh, it doesn't matter how bad your lung infection is. You can just pull out your pizza herbs. (laughs) But but the nice thing about this is is that it is going to be effective. And even if you decide that your 
particular respiratory infection is bad enough that you need to go and get pharmaceuticals, you can still do this kind of an herbal steam because it's just a helper. This is like natural Lysol. It is killing the germs on contact. And it's so that means it's making less work for your immune system. Or if you did decide that you needed a pharmaceutical, then it's just helping that pharmaceutical do the job. There's no interaction here with the inhaled constituents of the plant. So I love that. It is like totally safe for everybody. So let's talk about how to do it. Yeah. So this is going to be an herbal steam, and that means that you don't have to ingest this these plants at all, although if you want to, please feel free, but you don't have to. We're just going to breathe it in deep down to the bottom of the lungs, and the process is very simple. You're going to take a big pot of water, big soup pot, and fill it up with water and bring it to a rolling boil, like a really strong boil. And just empty, just with the water, nothing else in there. While you're doing that, get yourself a towel or a heavy blanket and a pot holder and a handkerchief. That part's really important because you're definitely, your sinuses are definitely going to clear out. You're going to need the handkerchief. And get that already, already on the table. And then get your pizza herb. So whether that's thyme or sage or rosemary, oregano, monarda, and I'll talk about why they're each a little different, but in this case, you can use any of them. All right. And get that ready on the table too. I prefer to use dried plants for this because it's a little bit more concentrated. If you are going to use fresh plant, just use a little more. You read my mind. (laughs) But I really like a good handful or even a handful and a half of the dried plant material. So if you're using fresh, use two handfuls or a little more. So you've got your pot of water. It is boiling like crazy. You've got everything laid laid out on the table ready for you. You're just going to bring that pot of water to the table, have a seat right in front of it, toss your handful or two handfuls of herbs right in, and then quickly put the towel over your head and make yourself a tent right over that pot of water so that all of the steam is going right into your face, basically. Um, you know, don't don't touch the pot and burn yourself or whatever. Yep. Um, but what you want is that towel is going to focus all that steam. You're making yourself like your very own sauna right there at the kitchen table. <laughs> yep. And breathing that steam in deep, deep down into your lungs. And the first few breaths are going to be really intense. Because that's that first rush of those essential oils. And it'll be hot because the steam is very hot. And it'll be kind of prickly feeling. Like it'll be hot because the temperature is hot, but also hot because the smell is hot, if that makes sense. I'm feeling better already. (laughs) (laughs) It is that heat and that intense smell. That is that herbal Lysol. That is that germ-killing action that, that that is happening. So you want to breathe that in as deep as you can because the funny thing about germs is that just like anything else, they they want to survive and so they will struggle to do that. And a lot of people kind of breathe very shallow. But in this case, you want to breathe deep because if you don't, the germs will just go down to the bottom of your lungs and hang out there until you finish and then they'll come back. Okay. (laughs) Breathe all the way down to the bottom of your lungs. And do this until it stops being smelly. And that's really only five or ten minutes. 
So then you're done. You've, you'll have to blow your nose several times along the way. That's great. Especially if your sinuses are blocked, you'll feel very happy. Yeah. And when you're finished, then just take that water. You can drink the tea now if you want to. Um, I mean, unless you dripped a bunch of snot in it, then that probably wouldn't be very <laughs> <Yeah>. delicious. No. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise, you can wait till it cools and give it to your plants. They will love it. Mm. Um, your plants love tea, too. It's got lots of nutrients for them. So either you can drink it or you can let your plants drink it. Okay, now we're just showing off. <laughs> <laughs> You know, what I was wondering as you were saying all this is, as you're talking, I'm starting to breathe deeply because I'm imagining (laughs) being in this tent and breathing all these herbs in. And I'm just thinking, I wonder how many listeners are right now taking deeper breaths, imagining (laughs) themselves over this pot. We should really do that every day. Um, yeah. So maybe we should just listen to this part of the podcast every day. And really <laughs> That's <help> right. <laughs> <laughs> you can do this um, whether you're already sick or if you're at work and like Dave from accounting sneezes on you and you're like, oh man, I can't be <laughs> sick this week. Yes. Uh, just as soon as you get home, just do it prophylactically. It's, you could do it every single day when you get home from work during cold and flu season. Yeah, yeah. Let your kids do it with you. Yeah. If your kids are really small, then it's particularly great. Obviously, it's a little bit hazardous for very small children because the pot is really hot and you don't want them to burn themselves. Yeah. But you can take a blanket and make a tent out of your kitchen table. And that's going to be big enough for you and your smaller children to get underneath together so that you can be protecting them from the hot pot, but you're still trapping in the steam in the air. It's not quite as intense, which will be nice because the kids, you know, they don't want it quite as intense as as an adult maybe would, you know, like, oh, it's good for me. I'll just do it. Um, But it'll still trap that steam in there so that the kids can breathe it in. And then you don't have to worry about them getting burned because you're right there with them. Okay. I like it. This is kind of a menthol activity Mm -hmm. is what we're doing here. It's actually, so it's to be really exact, menthol is a chemical name. um, And to be completely exact, this is thymol. um, And we don't have to make that that specificness, but you could say it's like menthol because menthol is... um, Predictably, it's in like peppermint and stuff like that. Yes. Um, there is menthol. There is actually the chemical menthol in these plants as well in time and say in the pizza plants. It is not nearly in as high of concentration as thymol and a few other constituents. The chemicals are very similar. They're okay. all the same category of chemicals. And you're saying thymol? Yes. Is that T H Y? T H Y. Okay. M O L. Yep. Okay. And it was just, it's just called that because. Even though many plants have that chemical in them, it was discovered first in the in the plant time, and so oh. that's what they named it after. Oh. But it turns out that most of these things, like there's one limol that is found in lemons and limes, but it's also found in a whole lot of other plants, including these pizza plants, because it turns out that all these chemicals are just ways that the plants adapt to their environment and just like humans in many different cultures figured out that writing is a useful thing to do, 
plants figured out that, oh, this particular chemical is really useful and, and I can use it. And lots of different plants figured that out. Hmm. But when we started discovering them, we thought that they only were part of one plant until we started realizing they're actually a moss plant. Okay. Let me ask you this. This is just a personal question on the side since you brought up Limol. I have a friend who <laughs> swears by drinking hot water with lemon first thing every single morning. So I yeah. thought, you know what? I'm going to try it. So this morning as I'm talking to you, that's what I'm doing. I'm assuming then I'm getting the benefits of this Limol. Is there anything else that's doing for me? Yes, there's actually quite a lot that's going on there. So lemon is, well, first off, there's some vitamin C and stuff like that that's happening. So, I mean, that's not for nothing. Okay. Um, but but lemon is very sour, and that sourness has a very specific effect on your digestive system. Um, it, it's actually really, it's really fascinating to look at how different flavors stimulate the body to have different responses. So you may have seen studies recently where they figured out that aspartame and the other artificial sweeteners actually are just as bad for diabetics as sugar. Maybe not quite just as bad, but close. You know, they, they are also bad for diabetics because even though there's no actual sugar and so there should not be an insulin release, as soon as your mouth gets the, the message of sweetness, you actually do release insulin, even though there's no sugar present. So that is an, an example of something that our body does in response to all flavors, not just sweet. Um, every different flavor that hits your mouth, your body actually begins to respond to that immediately. And so bitter flavors are very well known for their ability to improve digestion. And the hypothesis on that is that many things that are bitter are, are poisonous. Not everything that is bitter is poisonous, but things that are poisonous are also typically bitter. Okay. So the hypothesis is that the body is preparing to eject the poison and it wants to break it down as fast as possible so that it won't hurt you. And that's why it improves digestion. We don't know if that's true or not yet. It's just the current theory. Oh, interesting. So when you have something sour, that also is improving digestion, but the, the theory on why that is is different than bitter. And that one, we don't have a concurrent theory yet about it. There's a lot of disagreement. Um, but so when you eat something sour, a little bit more mildly than bitter, it stimulates your digestive system. And having that set up right off the bat in the morning is actually really great for your entire hormonal cascade. And those are two words that you might not think to put next to each other, um, but they, they do go together because so many of your hormones are involved in digestion and metabolization of food and energy. And those hormones are actually more important in your body than the, the than the thing that we usually think of when we say the word hormone, which is estrogen and testosterone. I was just going to say, I think you've been talking to my husband because he'd be like, hormonal cascade in this household? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is that those hormones are actually so much, even though they are the big thing that we think about, yeah. they're actually just nearly irrelevant in, in terms of our body. Mm -hmm. um, insulin is the number one hormone, and this is 
this is my dis- determination. Science has not said insulin is the most important hormone in your body, but I've decided that it is. And I think that, you know, at the end of 2017, when we list the top 10, whatever, um, we should list the top 10 hormones and, and insulin would totally be number one. But the reason is because if it's wrong, you die like really fast. So <laughs> yeah. to me, that seems like the most important hormone. And all the rest of them line up based off of those big hormones at the top, insulin and cortisol and whatever. So by having your lemon water every morning, what you're really doing is manipulating your hormone levels into a really healthy place, but you're doing it by setting up your digestive system instead of trying to do it by taking a hormonal supplement or something like that. I like it because I get to be the one manipulating my hormones instead of them manipulating me. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The other cool thing about lemon is that it does have some nice beneficial effects to the liver in a fairly gentle way. And that's the other way that you can manipulate your own hormones because when your hormones are done with their work, they get sent to the liver to be broken down. But you can imagine like on the set of The Tonight Show or any of those shows, you know, they've got a green room and all the guests are hanging out in the green room making jokes and talking to each other and doing whatever they're doing, eating snacks. Um, And they're just waiting for their turn to go on the show. Well, it's like that with your liver. Um, All the hormones are just waiting for their turn to get broken down. But the job of a hormone is to tell you a message. And it doesn't stop talking just because it's in line to be broken down. It's it's still talking. It's still chatting with its neighbor, saying its message, doing whatever. So that means that if your liver is not functioning up to speed, then your hormones are hanging around your system longer than you really want them there. You're done with them. You want them to be broken down, and it's just not happening yet. So by every morning, giving your liver a little push and saying, hey, Let's let's stick right on top of it. Let's do what we got to do. Then you're actually helping your whole system to um, like you're setting up your digestive hormones for the day in a positive way, and you're clearing out old hormones that you don't need anymore. It's really actually a very elegant thing, but it's so simple. It's just lemon water. Very interesting. Well, and I think that's going to be the reaction. It is as simple as inhaling steamed water with herbs or drinking water. It is that simple. Yep. It is that simple. It really is that simple. And you know, obviously not everything is that simple, but this is day-to-day stuff. Humans have been around for a really long time. You know, we had to develop ways to deal with the day-to-day stuff. So that's what this is. Well, let's do a deep dive on these pizza herbs one at a time. Tell us their strengths. Tell us what are the standout features. All right. For a long time, time, for a long time, thyme has really been my favorite of them. It is, along with Monarda, it is really hot. I think it's even hotter than oregano. I really think that thyme is the hottest of them. If you are a person who likes to go like really slow and gentle, then you might like sage better. But time is like, let's just do this. You know, it is, um, it's funny that its name is time because it's like, ah, I don't have time to be sick. You know, (laughs) interesting. okay, well then you, you need time. Um, and, and I'm a pretty type A person and I'm usually overscheduled. So I am just like, give me the big guns. Let's just get this over with. So time is really my favorite. 
it is, like I said, it's really, really hot. And it has a real pungency. They all do have a pungency, but time, time really has that. And the and pungent is, if you think about garlic, garlic is, is pungent. It's that sort of not exactly bitter flavor that is, you know, it's a, it's a garlic flavor. It's not a word that we use very often anymore. And so it's kind of hard to describe, but that, that garlic flavor is definitely pungent. So time has that too. And when you say hot, what are you meaning? Are you meaning like spicy? Are you meaning like uh, yeah. popular? Or what do you what do you mean when no, you say no. hot? Hot like a pepper. Yeah. Okay. It's that same type of heat. Um, it's a different kind of spicy, but it has that that heat. Um, and if it seems weird, if you're like, I've never thought of time as hot. Yeah. Um, then you know, really breathe it in deep. Even if you, even if you just, you just have some dried in your spice cabinet right now. If it's good quality, you can just open it and smell it and be like, oh, actually, she's right. It's hot. Okay. It, it just feels hot on your mucous membranes. You know, you said something right before we got started today. You said all mm-hmm. herbalists love mason jars. So mm-hmm. if we have time growing in our gardens and we want to bring some of that in so we can enjoy the power and the heat of time, we could literally mm-hmm. just put some in a mason jar and seal it up, right? You totally can. Yep. I mean, make sure it's dried really well, but yes, you totally can. Okay. And as long as it is smelly, as long as whenever you open the jar, you get a big whiff of thyme, it's still good. Okay. Yeah. So then sage is a little bit more gentle. And if you think about the leaf of sage too, it does have a little bit of softness to it. Yeah. I mean, it has the heat, it has the pungency, but it's just not quite as sharp as thyme is. So if you want to go a little slower, then the sage is really good. Or if you're like, Boy, I really feel that this steam stuff works, but I just can't stand quite that intensity. It's so sharp. And the sage is a little bit more gentle. Also, some people really like sage tea already, and they may find that a really delicious tea to drink. So if you feel like, well, I've watered all my plants because I'm doing a time steam every day this week and my plants don't need any more time, then switch to sage and drink the tea yourself. It's excellent for the digestive system, and that's really great because you've probably got a bunch of post-nasal drip going on, and your stomach is probably not super excited about that. So it's nice to have that tea and also drink it, but it's also nice to have one that is still very effective, a plant that's still very effective, but it's just not quite as intense as the time is. It kind of gives you a little break. Okay. And then rosemary. Rosemary is... It was Shakespeare, I guess, that said Rosemary for Remembrance. Yes. Um, I think it was Ophelia, maybe. I'm so glad you bring that up because I always think about that when I plant rosemary. It's true, actually. Rosemary, um, in addition to having a lot of those same antimicrobial constituents, antimicrobial chemicals, organic chemicals in the plant, it also has the ability to stimulate the circulatory system in the brain. So it is improving the, the blood flow to your brain, which means if you are the kind, having the kind of cold where you feel like you can't think and 
you cannot add two plus two. You're just like, like your head is just completely stuffed with cotton and your brain just doesn't function. Yep. Then rosemary might be the one that you want. You're still getting all of the respiratory action from it, but you're also getting that boost of let's improve the blood flow to the brain. Let's clear out some of these cobwebs. I need to be able to think today. So that one is has that real sort of brain function association along with it. Okay. Oregano, I don't use very often. You know, the smell of all of these plants, it's similar. It, there's definite sameness to them. You can tell that they all are related to each other. But man, there is just something about oregano that's kind of a turnoff for me. That might not be true. Obviously, that's not true for everyone. Everybody has like their preferences. So if oregano is the most delicious smelling thing on the planet to you, then by all means, use oregano. A lot of people are really excited about oregano. It's a very trendy plant. You know, you can buy the like oil of oregano capsules and all that kind of stuff. It is super, super effective. But I just personally don't love the smell of it. So I don't use that one as often. It still has all the excellent medicine. So my point here is that if there is one of these plants that you just like, use that one. Okay. And if there's one that you don't really like nearly as much, then don't use that one. Use one of the other ones instead. All right. It's totally fine. Okay. And then, oh my goodness, Monarda. So some people call it bee balm and some people call it wild bergamot. There's a lot of different Monardas. I grow Monarda fistulosa, but as long as it is good and smelly, then go for it. It really has a lot of the same smells that thyme has, but it, then it has like bonus on top of that. And the thing about the smell is that, remember, we're working with the volatile oils. That is the smelly part. So if you smell something that is the same, that, that means that those chemicals are present in both plants. So Monarda has a lot of the same smells that thyme has, and then it has extra ones on top of that. And it is really my super favorite if I can't get it, then time is still like my standard go-to. But when I can get my hands on Monarda, that is like even better. It has just a nice complexity to it. It's a tea that I enjoy drinking. It's a strong flavor, but I like it. So I'm more likely to drink that myself than to give it to the plants. I don't really love thyme tea. I, I give that one to the plants almost every time. <laughs> but it is. It really has that just something extra to it that is really, really nice. And, and again, it's one of the really strong ones. So I feel like no time to be sick today and I'm fresh out of time, but I've got lots of Monarda, then that, that one's going to be great. I always think of the fragrance of Monarda as a little bit elusive as well when I'm in the garden. Yeah. What is yeah. it about that? I don't know, but it's awesome. Yeah, it is. You know, the first time you plant bee balm, I mean, I was sitting on the ground. I still remember it. The first time I was planting it and I caught a whiff of that bee balm and it's just so heavenly. I just about passed out. I loved it. I fell in love with it immediately. It really didn't matter to me mm -hmm. what the bloom looked like. At the time, there was no bloom, but that fragrance was just so incredible. Yeah. What strikes me about it is... It doesn't have that constant emission the way that lilacs do or roses do or these other herbs. Mm -hmm. It just seems like it's a little more fleeting. Yeah. A lot of the plants, they'll smell if you disturb them or if the sun is very hot on them. That's when you really get the smell. 
a rose pretty much just smells all the time. If you if you're standing beside it, it smells. But these like minty ones, you kind of need to disturb a little bit, or or like if it's the height of the day, if it's the hot part of the day, then it'll also smell right there. It's really about releasing those volatile oils. You know, it's like the sun is a is an essential oil diffuser. If you think about it, I like that. Let me ask you this: How did Monarda bee balm bergamot end up? as a pizza herb. How is that part of that group? Because of course, I don't think about that when I think about pizza. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, It's really uh, just on the category of the smell and that it does, it does have so much similarity at the molecular level with thyme um, and oregano. So that that's how it gets into that category, even though we don't usually put it on pizza. <laughs> All right. We'll put it on the table, on the red and white checkered tablecloth while we're eating our pizza. We'll have some beautiful beef. That's right. All right. That'll be the bouquet that we have. All right. Okay. Yes. I just got to get that straight in my own mind because, you know, I'll talk about this down the road and then I'll be like, now, why was that a pizza herb? And I won't remember. So... Yeah. Yeah. No, that's right. It's just the flour on the table. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's the flour on our table in our pizza restaurant. Okay. Any others that we want to talk about here before we move into the cool mints? No, but one thing that I don't want to forget is that I definitely want to talk about eyes because when you, when you have a cold, your eyes are doing like their own thing. And I feel like a lot of times when you have a cold, your eyes get their own kind of infection. Or that's when people are really prone to getting a sty or something like that. And this is going to come up several times. It's going to come up again with the cool mints and it's going to come up with chamomile and yarrow. But believe it or not, your pizza, your pizza plants are really excellent for that. And my favorite way to deal with a sty or conjunctivitis or just I have a cold and my eyes are all affected by that too, not necessarily infected, but affected, you know, Yep. Um, is just when I'm doing that steam is make sure a lot of the steam goes into my eyes. It is the fastest way to get rid of a sty. I can't even tell you. Really? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very impressive actually. So like, that's going to come up because the cool mints are good at that also. And obviously chamomile is like if anybody has heard anything about an herb they could use for eye infections, they've probably heard chamomile. And that's totally true. Um, but believe it or not, these pizza plants, they're really good for it. And when, I know we've kind of glommed uh, cold and flu together here. But in this situation, you're saying either cold or flu you can start with this. You can start with the pizza herbs and the, the steaming of those herbs. Yes, you really can. And so cold and flu are different um, in the way that those viruses act in the body. But in this particular case, remember, this is just herbal Lysol. So we're literally just, it's kind of like a shotgun. We're just like, let's just kill everything. And um, it doesn't, it doesn't like hurt your good stuff. Uh, Humans have been in relationship with the pizza plants for, I mean, as long as Italy has existed. So, you know, like there's no Italian recipe that doesn't have all these, all these plants in it. So over time, our bodies and the, and the bacteria and and, uh, probiotics that should be in our bodies 
they adapted to, you know, the type of environments that we like. And so we don't have to worry too much about these culinary herbs um, damaging good stuff. But um, it's really kind of an indiscriminate, let's just clear everything out kind of an approach. And that's why it's really, it really is very effective against both. Okay. So this is, you would consider it maybe like if we were going to tier these things, this would be like tier one, level one, start with this. Mm-hmm. And you can start with this even before an illness starts. In fact, I would definitely recommend that you do that. Okay. I have to say as a gardener, and I'm sure there's a lot of people listening going, yes. Uh, One of my favorite things is when you said you can repurpose that water after you've used it to heal yourself. You can use it as kind of a gray water and go in and use it as fertilizer on your plants. I loved that. No, it's green water. (laughs) It's green water. It's green water. (laughs) I like it. Excellent. All right. Cool mints. Are we ready for the cool mints? Cool mints. So this is our lavender and peppermint, spearmint, hyssop, and catnip. And they all also have a little bit different in their in their makeup. But um, these are fantastic. Okay, well, I should just say right off the bat, you can steam with these too. Okay. So if you're like, but I don't like pizza plants but I really love spearmint. Oh, go right ahead. Steam with your spearmint. It'll actually be fine. A lot of the same essential oils, a lot of the same chemical constituents are in these plants too. They are actually in the mint family. They have a lot of things in common. It's really just at the level of concentration that we're looking at. So the reason that I favor thyme and Linarda is because they have a higher percentage of certain um, constituents than spearmint does, but spearmint still has those constituents and it has other ones that are also really great. When I heard you talk about using this as a steam application as well, when we get sick, my daughter and I, a lot of times will go to our local health club, it's Lifetime Fitness, and they do this mm-hmm. where they put mint aromatherapy and they'll put that mm-hmm. in the steam room. And so you just go in there when I always like to go in there when I'm sick and I'll sit there and I can just feel like my ears open and my nose open and my sinuses open. And for, you know, the few minutes that I'm in there, I feel like I get so much relief. It's like, oh my gosh, I I remember what it feels like to feel good again when I sit in there when I'm sick. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so if, you know, the bottom line here is that the best medicine is the medicine that you'll actually take. And... If you're like, well, gee, Katya, I hear you. Time is, I believe you that it's effective, but I hate it. And I'm just not going to do that. Then do it with whatever you love. If you love lavender, go bananas. You know, so it's, I don't want you to think that you can't steam these snow, these cool mints either. You totally can. But you like However, to do something, you like to do something different with them? I kind of do. I really like these guys. When there's any kind of fever and um, just to help get things flowing in the body, they have a lot of stimulating action. And of course, when you're sick, you just want to huddle up on the couch or in your bed and not really move. And 
That's actually great. In fact, sleep as much as you can. The only problem is that part of being sick is your lymphatic system because that's how you're going to get the trash out. All of, I mean, I don't mean to be like super militaristic here, but I'm going to be very militaristic in this example. Um, when you get sick, it's kind of like a war in your body and you've got immune responders who are killing the pathogens and now there's like dead pathogen bits all over your insides and you have to clean, clean that up. And that cleanup crew is your lymphatic system. But your lymphatic system doesn't have a pump like your heart. So the only way that you can move your lymph is by moving your body. But when you're sick, you don't want to go for a walk. You want to like be alone. So another way to get things moving is to move your blood because that changes the way that all the fluids in your body have their pressure. And by moving the blood around, you're putting pressure that will force the lymph to also move around. So it's kind of a roundabout way of doing it. But you're a lump. You're not going for a jog today. So this is the way that we're going to do it when we are sick. And the other thing is that these cool mints will help move a fever around. And so if you do have a fever, like, and, and that would mean you have the flu and not a cold because you don't get a fever for a cold. You just get fevers for the flu. Mm-hmm. If you do have a fever, then you want to let that release. You want to let that out and, and like literally sweat it out. That's what you're trying to do here. So these plants are going to help you do that. So you just, even in the title of them, the cool mints, the fact that they're cooling (laughs) and they get things moving. That's kind of a way we can remember how we're going to use these. Yes, absolutely. And then a few of them also have some extra bonus superpowers. So let me first talk about um, imbibing them, and then we'll talk about their superpowers. So these you can totally just drink as tea, and peppermint is so easy to drink as tea. Most people like it, and if they don't, they'll like spearmint. They're very familiar flavors. So you're sick, you don't feel good, you're kind of picky, you're grumpy, you know, have something familiar, have something easy. And so all these can be taken as tea. Or if you want to do them as a steam, you totally can. But tea is a great way to have these. And also, the more fluids that you drink, the better off you are. So drink a lot of it. Okay. So why don't we talk about their superpowers? Lavender's big superpower, you probably already know, it is super relaxing. And for a person who is sick and they're stressed out about it, or a person who is sick, they've got a fever, but the fever isn't very productive. And so they've really clamped, like they're shivering and they've tensed up all their muscles. Lavender is going to help you relax that. So Get yourself a good hot water bottle, wrap up in a blanket, and have a cup of lavender tea so that you can relax your body and bring that heat into yourself. It seems a little bit counterintuitive to have a cooling herb that will allow you to accept more heat, but it's that relaxing of the muscles. As long as those muscles are all tensed up, then you're, that heat isn't flowing into you. 
you could have a hot water bottle right up against you, but you're tensed against it. You know what I mean? Like you're not open to it. Mm -hmm. Not mentally, but like physically, you're physically not open to it. So lavender will really do that for you. Now, a cup of lavender tea all by itself is actually fairly bitter. Some people will love that, but some people that is not very appealing to And so if you don't love the bitterness, but you really want that relaxing action in your mix, then you can just have spearmint or peppermint tea with just a little bit of lavender in it. And you'll still get that effect, but you won't have that bitter flavor. Then peppermint, peppermint superpower is that it is super, super circulatory stimulating. And really, really gets your blood moving, gets blood up to the head. And it's just a very familiar flavor. It can be settling to the stomach. Some people, there are some people who don't like peppermint, and I'm actually one of them. But it's fairly unusual. Most people love peppermint. So that is a plant that is like, just you're like very accessible gateway plant. You want to be helping somebody out. And that's a very easy way to do it because almost everybody likes it. And it's it's popular with kids, too. Kids like peppermint. Yes, kids like peppermint. Also, you can get it anywhere. Even if you don't have any left from your garden, like it's a plant you can just get at the grocery store. So that's pretty cool, too. You also can have it as strong or not as you like it. So you can just take a few fresh peppermint leaves, put them in water, and carry that around with you. That's That's a great way to have your peppermint. If you're feeling really sick, you might like more peppermint than that. Um, And if you have a lot, a really strong cup of peppermint tea, then that can help clear your sinuses as well. And especially if you're like, well, I don't really like those pizza plants, but I do like peppermint. Well, okay, go ahead. Have a good, strong cup of peppermint and you can still get that, that strong sinus clearing action. Yeah, and just the fragrance. It's very strong. Yeah. It's very permeating. Yes, yes. And that's what you want when your sinuses are completely filled with crud. Mm-hmm. Spearmint has a lot of the same um, superpowers that peppermint does, but it's a little bit more gentle. And so sometimes when, you, when you're sick, you just can't handle a strong flavor too easily. And having the, that much more gentle flavor of spearmint might be just what people need because it's just it's just too overwhelming to have that very strong flavor. So it might be more pleasant, but it has most of the same qualities. It has that dispersive action. It has a settling on the stomach. It still will get through to the sinuses, not as strongly as peppermint does, but it still will do it. So if peppermint just feels like too much because everything is just cranky and and grumpy and you just I just don't want that much then spearmint can be more gentle so spearmint is to peppermint the way sage is to thyme yes very much yeah and then hyssop there's a lot of hyssops out there and lately I'm a huge fan of anise hyssop and I think that actually is pretty trendy in gardens right now too but anise hyssop is and, and really all the hyssops are they have that movement that peppermint has, that really kind of strong movement, but they don't have that peppermint flavor. They have a very distinctive different flavor. And 
I think that's why I like them so much because they have a lot of the same actions that peppermint has, but they don't come with the peppermint flavor, which is what I don't really like about peppermint. Oh, okay. So, so that, that really appeals to me um, quite a lot. Hyssop also is lovely when there's a cough involved. It's really soothing for coughs. And then catnip. Chamomile gets listed this way too, but catnip is really excellent. It's good for whiny babies and adults who are acting like whiny babies. And I just love that because when I have a cold, I am a whiny baby. I I just really am. I hate to be sick. And I can really get to feeling sorry for myself when I'm sick. I'm like, oh, I have so much work to do and now I'm going to be behind and this is terrible and I don't have time to be sick and blah, 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 blah. That is when you really need catnip. It's fantastic. Catnip is really excellent for fever. Of all of these cooling mints, catnip is really the one that I think of first for fever. And it has, yeah, really, it does. Um, It's really, it really has a very good dispersive quality to it. And it has some pain-killing action. So that's really nice, too. It is, like, if you've got that headache going along with whatever else is happening for you, part of that headache is probably caused by sinus pressure, so we do need to move that. But part of it is also just, hey, this hurts. And catnip is good for that. Really, really good. And do you feel the same way about cat mint? So we've, there's, you know, there's cat mint, and then there's cat nip. Yes. So recently we've been planting cat mint and I really like them pretty interchangeably. They taste a little different. I don't put them in the same jar when I store them, but when I'm making tea, I kind of reach for them interchangeably. Okay. So with the pizza group, we were doing the steam. With this group, with Mm -hmm. the cool mints, is there something else you want us to do with them or you want us to do the steam application as well? How do we use them? You definitely can do steam if you want to, but I really like tea. And the more tea you can get into yourself, the better when you're sick. Just fluids are actually really important. Again, all of that immune action, it's got to get filtered through your kidneys. The more liquid that you send, the easier that job is for your kidneys. So drink it as tea. You can steam with any of these, but get your fluids in. You know, Drink these guys as tea. Okay, so now let's pretend we're talking to someone who has never really used herbs in this way. Can you Mm -hmm. walk us through, what is your recommendation? How do you make this tea? Well, so first, you know, you can grow these plants and just dry them. And to dry them, you really can just put them in a brown paper bag in like your attic um, or like in your garden shed, wherever it's going to be really hot. And in a day or two, Um, they'll be good and dry for you. Don't stuff them in the bag. Put them loosely in there. But the bag is just to keep keep them kind of contained. So, okay, now they're dried. Great. You've got them. It's winter. I prefer to boil water on the stove than to microwave it. It's just, I think it's just personal preference. If you are going to microwave your water, then just get the water hot first. That's the first thing you want to do is have boiling water. And then put your plant matter in it. And this will be different for different types of tea. But because these teas are very aromatic, they have a lot of that volatile oil constituent, we really want to be super present with them while we make it. So 
you get your cup of hot water, you put in some of the plant matter, and then like huddle over it. Now, you've got a cold or you've got the flu, you're going to want to huddle over it anyway because it's warm and you're not, right? So that's going to be your inclination is to sort of hug your cup of tea to do that. And the reason is, even though we're drinking these as tea and we're not doing it as a steam, as soon as you put them in the hot water, those volatile oils are still being released. You might as well breathe them in. So get right over it and just breathe deep. It's not the same as a huge, big pot of water and a, and a handful or two handfuls of, of plants, but it still is going to make that beautiful smell. Breathe it right in there. That is part of the medicine already. So don't neglect that part. Okay. And then once it's cool enough to drink, just drink it up. Now, you might use a tea strainer, those like sort of screen baskets that you just balance on the top of your teacup. Oh, yeah. I like those better than tea balls. I really don't like tea balls because the plants can't really move around very much in there. And and in order to make a good tea, you need the plants to have enough space so that they're all touching the water and, and that exchange is happening very easily. If the plants are all mushed up at the bottom, then you don't really get all the stuff out of them that you could. Okay. So I, I like a tea strainer. Or my favorite way is just to grab a mason jar and make a whole quart of tea. And then, so you're just going to put like an inch of your plants at the bottom of your dried plants. Or if it's easier for you to think in terms of spoonfuls, like two or three soup spoons full would do it. All right. Put, Put that in your mason jar, pour the hot water in, and then just huddle over it. You know, breathe it in until it isn't smelly anymore. And then still hug it because it's warm and you're not, so that feels good. And then once it's cool enough to drink, drink it down. Feel free to put honey in if you want to. Whatever makes it pleasant for you. A little maple syrup is great. I like it. You're jazzing it up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it should be nice. It should be something that you enjoy so that you'll do it again. And so, yeah, so put the honey if you want it. Plus, honey is great, so go for it. So if you were sick, Katya, you would be doing this, what, twice a day, three times a day? How often are you drinking tea? Um, I have a press pot, like one of those air pots that they have. If you go to like a coffee shop and they have the, the line of those stainless steel with the black tops, press pots of the coffee. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh-huh. They're like two liters or something like that. I make one of those every day. And drink it. Okay. And then after dinner, my husband and I will make like a pot of tea and drink that too. So I guess that on a regular day that I'm not sick, I drink like two and a half liters of tea maybe. So you should drink a lot is what I'm saying. Okay. Hashtag tea goals here. Here we go. All right. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get on board. All right. Okay. So that's great. That's great. Well, it's nice to have a gold standard. You know, somebody who's really doing this as as a benchmark. So I like that. (laughs) Yes, I can tell you I haven't been to a doctor since before the year 2000. So, um, you know, I mean, that doesn't mean that that you shouldn't go to a doctor. I mean, you should if you need one. Yeah. But um, if you can, if you can avoid needing one, then hey, bonus. Yeah, bonus. That's right. And if I needed one, I would certainly go. But, um, If you're not sick, that's better. 
<laughs> That's right. Yep. My my grandfather used to say food is cheaper than doctor bills. So he would always eat very good food. That is so true. Even expensive food is still cheaper than doctor's bills. Yeah. That is absolutely true. Yeah. I love your grandfather already. <laughs> okay. So are we through the cool mint group here? Are we making our way into vegetables? Yes. All right, let's do it. Yes, and that's so appropriate because there's your grandfather right there. That's uh, that's exactly so, right. <laughs> so my favorite vegetables for colds and flu are garlic, onion, and hot peppers. I think I want to start with onion okay. because I cannot get through the winter without onion, I, I have to tell you. I mean, I love to eat onions. They're delicious. They are immune boosting. They have lots of qualities. In fact, sauteed onions, even they, there was a study that sauteed onions have some antidepressant activity, which I find utterly fascinating. For me, the real place where onions become like I cannot live without them is when I have an ear infection. I am really, really prone to ear infections. You know, I had tubes in my ears when I was a kid and I had ear infections all the time. If I go out without a hat, like, forget it. I will have an ear infection. Okay. So me and onions, we're like inseparable in the winter. And the way this works, and it might seem a little funny, I learned this when I was living in Russia. I went to university in Russia and I, of course, immediately got ear infections. And the girl that I was living with was like, oh, well, I know what to do for that. So what she did was she took an onion and sliced it as if you, you're going to put it on a hamburger, you know, so that it looks like a, a bullseye target. You can see all the rings yeah. um, in their circle. Yeah. And you slice it about a quarter of an inch or a half an inch thick. And make two slices because you have to use it on both ears. And you put it in a pan with a little bit of oil. You're just going to saute it until it is uniformly hot. And we're not caramelizing the onion. Just we want to get it hot all the way through. And then you take two soft cloths that are not too thick but also not too thin. And you wrap the onion in the cloth. And then you put the onion on your ears. And so we call this Princess Leia ears. That's what we used to call it when my daughter was little. And you literally just have onion earmuffs. That probably sounds like the craziest thing that you've ever heard, but let me tell you the science behind it. So what's going on here is that, first off, the onions are hot. So it's like putting a heating pad on your ear, and that feels really good. It's very soothing. So that's great. But onions have something that heating pads don't, and that is sulfur. And the steam doesn't just contain the heat. It also has the sulfur and some of the volatile oils and some other good stuff from the onion. And all of that is going into your ear canal. And it is, again, we're using that same Lysol concept. We are literally putting these organic chemicals right where the infection is. So it's a topical application that's going to kill whatever it is, whatever the pathogens are in your ear that's causing this infection. It took me a while to figure out that that's what was going on because I learned this long before I was an herbalist. Um, but all I knew was it works so fast. And so long before I figured out like the science behind it, I was sold because it was so effective. You really only have to do it for five or 10 minutes. Again, you just do it until it isn't hot anymore. I can have an ear infection that hurts so bad that I want to cry. 
And within a couple hours, it's totally gone. It's literally a lifesaver. It is amazing. The key here is just make sure that you don't burn your ears. You want the cloth to be thin enough that the steam can go through, but not so thin that the hot onion is going to burn your ears. So just be careful with that. Okay, so let's go through this one more time because for people who are freaking out right now going, wait a minute, what am I going to do? Let's walk <laughs> Let's walk them through it one more time. So we're going to slice yeah. the onion like we're going to make a hamburger, mm-hmm. like we're going to have onion exactly. on our hamburger. Okay, I'm with you. Now, get me the rest of the way. I've got an ear infection or I've got a kid with an ear infection. Let's try mm-hmm. Katya's onion therapy. What do we do next? <laughs> So remember when you slice your onion, slice it thick okay? because you want it to hold some heat. If you, if you slice it really thin, then it'll lose its heat really quickly. And you want a lot of steam to come out of it because that's where the sulfur and the volatile oils are going to, that's how that's going to be carried into your ear. So you want a good thick slice. Okay. You want to get it hot all the way through. And the reason is because you want that heat, that's that's the mechanism of action. That's the like mechanical part of this is that the heat is going to drive the steam into your ear. So you want it hot all the way through, but you don't need to caramelize it. You know, like it shouldn't fall apart. It should still be an onion slice, just that it's uniformly hot. And don't use too much oil, just, just enough so it doesn't stick to the bottom of the pan, just a smidge. Okay. Don't spray the pan, Pam. Don't use what? actual oil. You know those sprays that they that people spray on their pans sometimes. Oh, so don't like use Pam, Pam or don't use Pam. Don't use those. Okay. Right, and the reason is because those have some aerosol components to them, oh, and we sure. don't want that to be in your ear. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we don't we want to conflict. Want, okay, right. We just want the the steam from the onion. Okay, so just a smidge of oil. But if you put a ton of oil, that's going to soak through the cloth. And then your chances of burning your ear are higher. But if it's just a smidge of oil, just enough so it doesn't stick, get it uniformly hot, and then put it on a cloth. I just use like a a cloth napkin, like an old cloth napkin or a bandana. Those are perfect. Okay. And wrap it, you know, fold it over a couple of times, test it out on your hand to make sure that it's not too hot. And then literally put it on both ears. So you can just pretend like you're the cartoon character that like has both hands over its ears and is saying, la, 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 I can't hear you. You know, like okay, you can see that image yep. and just hold it over your ears. Usually what I do is at this point, I feel so cruddy that I'm curled up in a tiny ball on the couch. Yep. So one ear usually hurts more than the other. So I'll lay down on that side and put the onion under it and the other side I'll just hold. I'm with you. I've got my, I've got my, I'm laying on my, my bad ear. I totally get it. Okay. Yes, exactly. Okay. And you definitely want to do both ears. Okay. Definitely do both. Okay. All right. Yes. Because you know that phrase in one ear and out the other, you know, that every mother has said to their teenagers or or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That's actually true. There are tubes that it's not one straight shot, but you can't, pathogens can go in one ear and out the other. So you do need to treat both. They're connected through your sinuses and your nasal canal and and a bunch of other stuff. It's not really like a straight tube, but you do need to, to do both ears regardless. Okay. 
and then just lay there till it isn't hot anymore. And the very first time you try this, you might be super skeptical, but immediately you will be sold. This, I mean, I learned this long before I knew anything about herbalism. My mom was a nurse. I grew up bleaching everything. I did not grow up like in an all natural household at all. And this was my first exposure to any herbal thing. This and like just regular old herbal tea because it tastes good. But this was my first time that I ever had any kind of herbal medicine or natural medicine. And I thought that my roommate was absolutely off her rocker. But I did it because I felt terrible and didn't have enough energy to fight. And, um, oh, my goodness. I can't even tell you how amazing it is. All right. Turn the car around. Let's go get some onions. Yeah. And do it like three times. You know, if you feel crappy, then do it. And then a couple hours later, do it again. Okay. But but literally, if I can be that sick where I'm like really going to cry about it, if I do it three times that day, the next day, I'm fine. I'm ready to go. It's amazing. All right. Let's talk about the others. We've got garlic and hot peppers. <laughs> okay. So both of these will clear out your sinuses. And lots of people really like to like eat a raw clove of garlic every day and say that it makes them never get sick. And that's cool. But for a lot of, but actually, it's actually very hot. And a lot of people, that is too much for their stomach. It just burns. So I would say instead of eating a clove of garlic raw every day, I mean, if you have a stomach for it, then go crazy. But for so many people, that's not very fun. So instead, what I like to do is peel a bunch of garlic, put it in a jar that is half full of apple cider vinegar, and the other half is honey. And I make garlic pickles. And that's all you have to do. You just do that. You let them sit there for a couple of weeks. And presto, you have garlic pickles. Now that I can easily eat. And you can make salad dressing out of the honey vinegar. What does it taste like? Like sweet and sour garlic. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's really good. It's very easy to do. And it really does just help your body kick into that immune-boosted action state. So if if people around you are getting sick, that's when it's time to drag out the garlic pickles. And just have some every day. You don't have to eat it all by itself. You can put it on top of food. It tastes really good. But it doesn't have that same, I'm going to set your stomach on fire kind of feeling that eating raw garlic does. Okay. And then uh, hot peppers are also excellent. And I used to, I remember when I was very first learning herbalism, I was like, wow, Herbalism has everything except decongestants. Like, that's so great. And I don't know why I even thought that, because I grew up in Texas and I loved Mexican food, but I didn't think of that as medicine. But if you've ever gone out and had Mexican food or, like, really spicy Asian food or whatever else, as you know, those hot peppers will get your nose running even if you don't have a cold. Yeah. So that's how we're going to use them. Okay. Get yourself a bunch of hot peppers And if your nose is completely stuffed up, instead of reaching for the NyQuil or the DayQuil or whatever, I mean, if that's what you need to do, then do what you got to do. But try some hot peppers. It will clear everything out. 
Plus, you're getting all of the value, all of the nutritional value of those vegetables on top of it. And that's just nothing to sneeze at. I like it. And, you know, you can take all three of those, the garlic, the onion, and the hot peppers, chop them up coarsely, and put them in a jar of vinegar and honey, if you like, and pickle the whole thing. And then you can add that to soup broth to give it a nice kick. You can just drink the vinegar straight. People call that fire cider. And it's super easy. It's really good when everybody else is sick and you're trying to fight it off. But it's also just delicious in soup. And soup is good food when you're sick. And then why not add that little extra kick that's going to help clear out your sinuses? Now, let's go shopping together a second. Let's you and I make a quick trip to the grocery store. What are some of the things that you want to have on hand that you're going to get at the grocery store for this time of year to avoid cold and flu? Well, anything on this list, you can't usually get Monarda at the grocery store. Yeah. But you can get thyme and sage, rosemary, oregano, peppermint, spearmint. Sometimes you even find lavender. And you can definitely get garlic and onion and hot peppers. You can toss some horseradish in with that too. That will definitely clear your sinuses. So if your grocery store has that, I like to have some ginger and lemon on hand because You know, if you're going to do that lemon water trick, I also love putting ginger in with that. And ginger and lemon together with some honey are great for a cough. That's like my favorite thing for a cough. I like it better than, you know, I mean, you can get the ginger lemon cough drops. Yeah. But those are made, those are candy, basically. Yeah. So I would rather drink ginger lemon tea with honey in it. Because any way that I can get more fluids in when I don't feel good, that's actually better. It's going to help my kidneys to fight off and filter out all the stuff that needs to go. So in this case, what you're doing is you're heating up your water, then you add your lemon slices, and then how do you add the ginger? What's your best way to do that? You can just slice it exactly like the lemon or slice it as if you were going to put it into your dinner. And you don't have to like chop it super fine or mince it or any of that. You just slice it. In, like a coin of ginger yeah, and just toss that right in there as well. Maybe right. put it in two. I like, I like ginger a lot. So. All right. I like it. Anything else that we'd get on our, on our little shopping trip? A lot of vegetables, tons of vegetables and some chicken broth. If you don't feel like making chicken broth yourself, then just get chicken broth at the store and toss in a ton of vegetables. Mushrooms are great. If, this, if your store has them, especially like shiitake or maitake mushrooms. Okay. That's another immune-boosting food. But any mushrooms, at least, are helping you out with protein and stuff. And just put it in the soup. I don't really like to eat a lot when I'm sick, but I'll drink soup broth. That's fine. So even if I put a bunch of vegetables in the soup and I don't really eat them, still, we have vegetable tea, basically. A lot of the good stuff from those vegetables are now in the soup broth, and I can just drink that down And that's kind of all I feel up to when I'm sick. Yeah. Any other immune-boosting recipes that you can think of, Katya, before we start to really get into the cold and flu season? Well, you know, there is always elderberry syrup. That is one thing that I love to have on hand. Syrup takes a little trick to make, but if you already know how to make syrup or if you know how to make jelly, It is basically the same process. You're just going to boil those berries down with some water and boil them down until 
you know, you've reduced the liquid quite a bit. But instead of putting the pectin to make jelly, you're just going to um, preserve that as it is, as that syrup with the sugar. I like to make it with honey instead, and I preserve it with some alcohol because if you make it with honey, it's not shelf-stable. But the process is exactly the same as making jelly just without the pectin. Okay. You don't have to use only elderberries. Elderberries have particular good flu virus fighting action, but any berry at all, including rose hips, is going to be high in vitamin C and excellent at giving your body the nutrients that it needs to fight and also stimulating the immune system. So cranberries, rose hips, raspberries, blackberries, put them all in there together and make them into syrup or make them into jam if you want to. It's okay to have medicinal jam. Now, one of the things that you mentioned when we were talking earlier this week, you said a lot of this you can just integrate into your everyday food choices. So start doing Mm -hmm. that now. That's a step you can take. But then you said if you do find yourself falling ill, that you can switch up these remedies as you regain health, that you don't just have to try one. As you get better over the course of your recovery, you should probably consider switching things up. Yeah, for sure. So every plant in the world is a complex combination of organic chemicals. If we think about pharmaceutical medicines, they're just one chemical usually, or they might be two or three put together. So if we're thinking about the chemistry of our medicine, then plants are a much more robust kind of medicine, at least against the things that they're good at fighting. So I'm not necessarily universally saying that plants are always more robust than a pharmaceutical option. Sometimes the pharmaceutical thing is what you need. But plants are a much more complicated response to a pathogen. Which means that if we start switching up our plants, then it's like having an entire team of people who are helping you to get a job done instead of only one person helping you get a job done. And so for starters, that's the the most basic sense of switching it up. You can do a steam, and then you can have some garlic, and then you can say my ears hurt, so I'll also do the onion trick. and. Now I did my steam an hour ago and my nose is stuffed again and I don't feel like doing another steam, so I'll just have some of these hot peppers or whatever. You can mix it up from that perspective using different plants that can do the same job just because it's more convenient in this moment or just because you're tired of one and you want to switch to another. But you can also be switching up your strategies as you go through to match how you're feeling. So let's say that you can't really get a fever going. You, you're you just stuck at like 99 degrees and you're like, I think I should run a fever and I just can't seem to do it. Get yourself a bunch of garlic and hot peppers because they're hot. They're going to make your body hot. And that's going to help your body get warmer. So start there. And then once that fever gets going... And you're like, wow, I'm good and hot now. Well, you probably don't want hot peppers anymore. Now you might want to switch over to catnip to let you, okay, that fever's running. Now we want to sweat it out. We want to let it out of us and get the catnip to do that work for you. 
So in this way, you know, you can really help to make, help the progression of whatever kind of illness you have go a little bit faster, not just because the plants are assisting your immune system and so it goes faster because of that, but also because you know, okay, we've got to get this fever going. I'm going to sit here until my fever's hot. I might as well help myself get it hot. And then, okay, now my fever is getting hot. I'm going to be in this state until I break the fever and sweat it out. So I might as well help myself sweat it out now, you know? I love that, Katya. I love that. And if people are listening and they want more information or they just like a chance to interact with you a little bit about some of the great stuff you've been sharing with us today, I want to make sure that we talk to folks about the fact that you're going to be doing a webinar inside the listener community in the free Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast Group. And it's completely free. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you plan to cover for listeners of the show. Yeah. So I'm going to do this on Facebook Live right in the still growing Facebook group. And first off, I'm going to demonstrate a few of these things. So if any of these sound like ideas that you're like, well, I would try that, but I'm not really sure that I exactly understand what you mean. Well, I'm going to show you right there live. So I'll show you about doing a time scheme. I'll show you about Princess Leia ears. We'll make some garlic pickles right there. And that way you can say, well, I don't know. It sounds like something worth trying, but I don't want to screw it up. Then you'll really be able to see exactly what I'm talking about. And I'll also take all your questions. So if you have any specific questions that are coming up for you, then just bring them right to that Facebook Live, and I'm happy to answer them for you. I love it. So we'll share the particulars in the Facebook group. It'll be sometime after Thanksgiving. We'll give the date and the time for people who are interested that can attend this webinar. And if you can't attend it live, you can always catch the replay. Yes, absolutely. Well, that's fantastic. If you have plants in your garden that you think might be useful and you're not really sure, then feel free to ask me about those too. That's a great point. Well, if people want to get a hold of you, you have a fantastic website. I definitely look at your website frequently. I use a lot of the blog posts that you share as part of the Garden News Roundup. That's how we found each other. But tell people about your website, how they can find you, and where you're at on social media as well. Yeah. Our website is commonwealthherbs.com. I have a blog there. We actually, we were inspired by Jen and we just launched a podcast. It is, it's tiny, but um, it is there too. We have online classes that are video-based classes. You can see my husband and I teach together and you can see us both demonstrating everything and lots of other information and material there that you can check out. We actually are putting together a very special gardener's bundle. Um, that's just special for your listeners. And that is going to be two video classes. The first one is called Materia Medica. And that's an old word that just means learning about the plants that we use as medicine. It's kind of like a dictionary. And we go through each of the plants and talk about this is how we work with that plant. This is what this plant can do. If there are any contraindications or cautions, we talk about that too. And then we also have a class on how to make all of the different types of herbal medicine. And we show you step-by-step in the video exactly how to do it. 
And so we've put these two classes together. We teach a lot of different kinds of classes, but um, this is such a good beginning place for herbalists to start, and especially for gardeners, because you're working with the plants all summer long. You might as well also work with them in the winter. So we put that together as the Gardener's Bundle for your listeners, and there is a special coupon that will get you $90 off on this bundle, and it's the coupon code is still growing. So you can check that out also and see if you like it. We have made a special webpage just for your listeners, and that is commonwealthherbs.com slash still growing. Perfect. So you can just type that right in, see all the fun stuff, and we can link right to the replay of the Facebook group from there as well. All right. That's wonderful. So the two things that they can see is they can check out this Materia Medica. And then what was the second mm-hmm. one? Oh, that one's medicine making. Medicine making. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So those Everything's are the two. Everything's step by step. Okay. Yep. And of course, there's lots of other great stuff that they can check out as well. But we put those two in a bundle as sort of a starting point. And I think that will be a really nice place to just sort of kick off, learn a little bit more about these plants in a totally different application, and then realize, oh, it's not actually so different. That's really what it's boiling down to, no pun intended, because once (laughs) you get comfortable with it and you start trying one or two or three remedies, it really becomes simple. It just becomes a matter of learning a little bit more and trying different applications. Yeah. At first, maybe it feels a little weird, but pretty quickly, she just becomes a lifestyle. That's right. Well, Katya, I can't thank you enough. You've helped us stay healthy during the upcoming cold (laughs) and flu season using plants from our garden, which is tremendous. So thank you very much. Oh, you're so welcome. I really love talking to you, Jen. Well, likewise. And I know you're going to be coming back for some future episodes as well. So I'm looking forward to it. Yes. That'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, that's it for our show today featuring Katya Swift with the Commonwealth Center for Herbal Medicine in Boston. I hope today's show gives you some great ideas for staying healthy during cold and flu season with plants from your garden. Katya has given me so many ideas for integrating some basics from my garden to add more health into my daily life. Things like thyme, sage, oregano, bee balm, lavender, the basils, yarrow, and of course, garlic and onion. Just a reminder that I'll have all of the generous information that Katya shared on the show today under the Still Growing Podcast page over at my website at sixfootmama.com. That's the number six, F-T-M-A-M-A.com. I'm so thankful to my team over at Podfly Productions. I want to thank my editor and project manager, Eric Begay, and my copywriter, Ein Kadena. I'd also like to thank the women who make up my listener advisory board, Beth Engel, Beth Gardens in Illinois. She works at Griffin, a national brokerage firm, and one of the finest companies in horticultural service. And Beth is also a board member of the PPA, the Perennial Plant Association. 
Foundation. Denise Pugh, Denise Gardens in North Mississippi, and is a contributing writer to Mississippi Gardener Magazine. Amy Von Atchen, Patricia Chandler-Newport. Patricia is the owner of Backyard Urban Gardens out of Kego Harbor, Michigan. Deb Gibson, and Peggy Ann Montgomery. Peggy Ann is the brand manager over at American Beauty's Native Plants, and she was also featured in episode 553, talking all about how you can incorporate more native plants into your garden. I'll sign off today with this question. What plants will you employ to help you and your family stay healthy during cold and flu season this year? Still Growing with Jennifer Ebling is a SixFootMama.com production made in lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota. Still Growing is a weekly gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow. 